Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodman, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. We're currently now in Colorado Springs at the Superstars Writing Conference, and I was really excited when I saw one of my favorite narrators pop up on the guest list, Ray Porter. Ray is an American actor and audiobook narrator who is most widely known for portraying the DC Comics villain Darkseid in Zack Snyder's Justice League. I best know him as the voice of Joe Ledger in Jonathan Mayberry's series, and I also listen to him as well in Andy Weir's Project Hail Mary. Welcome, Ray. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's, um, again, the, the Writers of the Future is basically there to help all aspiring writers and artists, Yeah. and with the podcast, I've tried to appeal to all aspects of publishing, and Great. right now, the spoken word has taken amazing audiobooks have really uh really exploded especially in the last few years and it doesn't show signs of abating um so you know it seems like pretty much every new release now has an audio edition of it it's a very very busy time it's a great time to be a narrator great time to be you know an engineer or anybody producing these books mm -hmm. uh, and i think a great time to be a writer because it is a completely different medium and uh, I don't know, you know, if there's certain writing things that need to adapt to that or whatever. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's an exciting time. And it has been for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And it isn't and, slowing, so. No, that's the fact. And with, like, I, anytime I, you know, I interview a, a, an author, I have to read their books. And yeah. some, I, if I can, I like listening to the audiobooks, uh, but it takes mm -hmm. longer than because I can read a book way faster yes, than I you can, can and listen to it. Yeah. But it's one of the, I guess I'll say, pleasures of Jonathan Mayberry because I love your voice. Oh, thank and you. And so, um, and I, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks in, thank you very in much. doing this. So, you've been obviously doing this for a while. So, how'd you yeah. come into becoming a, a narrator? Um, well, let's see. I was, uh, was at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, Oregon for quite a long time. Uh, and going down to L.A. and doing things, you know, TV, film, that sort of thing. And I was aware of audiobooks. And a few people that I knew, actors, uh, had talked about, you know, narrating. And it seemed like something that I, that I really wanted to try. Mm -hmm. So I sent an audition off uh, to Blackstone Audio. And uh, they sent me a book to do, and it did okay. And they sent me another couple books, and they did really okay. <laughs> and then it was sort of a momentum thing. Um, the one thing nobody told me when I was going into it is a lot of actors who are like, hey, I've got a great voice, and I like to read. Why don't I narrate audiobooks? And they always come out after their first day shocked at how hard it is, how physically demanding, mentally demanding. Um, you know, it's it, it it really takes something. It it sounds very simple. Sit here and read this aloud for the next four to five hours, and we'll record it. You know, and you think, well, psh, falling off a log. It's actually deceptively hard to do this stuff, and very draining. So you know, by the end of the day, some days I can't even form a thought. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you do, because I've talked to other uh, voice talent before mm -hmm. as well. So what have you? What do you find as being some of the, taking away the generality of it, just specifics that makes it so draining for you? Well, you're 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 maintaining continuity throughout it. You know, you're maintaining continuity of character and and uh, dialect. You're acting several roles. You know, if you're if you're doing solo narration, and there's ten characters in the book, well, you're playing all ten of them. Um, you are keeping the ball in the air as far as you know the what the what the author is trying to do. Uh, you have to be mindful of external noises, extraneous sounds. Uh, there's a lot going on, and uh, you know by the end of the day, it's it's taxing. Yeah, you know. So on, and again, the people who will be listening to this podcast are they're, they're aspiring writers and artists, but yeah. they're also people that want to get some aspect of publishing that to be part, you know, to participate sure. in. It. So, any things that when you went into it, you're like, ah, oh, I wish I would have known, or that was just a total because you've been acting already prior yeah. to getting into it. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it is like, uh, I think any creative person's process, you know, I, I got started and then at some point went, well, I guess this is going to be a going concern. Maybe I'd better start, you know, sort of looking at what other people are doing and modeling my stuff after that, because, you know, I was more focused on what I should be like as a, you know, what is the accepted form of an audiobook narrator? And I tried that and it was, it was not a pleasant experience. And so, you know, just really, it really kind of hammered home the thing of you have to run your own race. You have to create your own thing and uh, don't compare yourself. Don't look at, you know, what you should do if you believe enough in it and are committed enough in it and committed enough to get your craft in line with what it is your vision mm -hmm. is, then there is no, this is the accepted way of doing things. The accepted way of doing things is how you just did it. You know, and that was a tough lesson to learn, you know, comparing yourself. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's deadly. Don't do it. I believe you on that. Now that begs two questions. Now one is, did you have to go through any, exercises the rain in spain falls mainly on well i mean having done almost 20 years of shakespeare uh you know especially in an outdoor theater with 1600 or 1200 seats and you know forest fires and bats and all sorts of other stuff i i feel like i was pretty pretty ready to handle sitting in a booth uh you know obviously um your voice your articulators your breath all of that stuff is uh, your toolbox that's that's what you're that's what you're creating with so it needs to be taken care of you know and that right. sort of thing but uh yeah no all the warm-ups and learning how to speak properly and everything that came a little bit before i get it now like talking about some of your your toolbox yeah i know frank sinatra sure his one of his things that he did was as a young person wanting to become a vocalist he swam laps underwater to build up his right, his build up breath, the lung capacity, the lung capacity, sure. so he could have those long phrasings, which made him stand up from all other vocalists at the time. Yeah, did you do anything like that to kind of like become Ray Porter as compared to I want to be an audiobook narrator? Um, you know, there's there's physical requirements for doing live theater. There's definitely physical requirements for doing Shakespeare in a live situation, physically, mentally, emotionally, all of that other stuff. You just have to kind of take good care of it. So, you know, in college, we studied a lot about grounding and physicality and kinesthetics and that sort of thing. And then working on the articulators and how you speak and, you know, mm -hmm. because the idea is you're in an outdoor theater, 1,200 seats. The guy in row Z paid the same amount of money as the guy in row A and deserves the same amount of show. So how do I not only convey the language, but convey the thought to Rosie with as much clarity as the person in row A is getting it. And that just takes time. It's just a technique thing. You know, it's, it's, um, there's no substitute for doing it. Yeah. You know? How many audiobooks have you narrated? Gosh, I don't even know at this point. I usually rely on Audible, but they always take things off and put things on and stuff like that. I mm -hmm. think it's in the neighborhood of five, 600 books at this point. Uh, but I don't really know. Yeah, you know, I've never been one of those people to keep count or keep a scrapbook or anything like yeah. that. So just yeah. curious on that because yeah, you know, there's normally a curve. You know, as you build up your mm -hmm. one, your certainty, but also your name as well. So I know that um, I know John because I had Jonathan on his podcast yeah. a few months ago. And he really, really dug the fact that you were his voice. Yeah. You know? So how did that pairing come to be? I was asked to do uh, the first Joe Ledger book, Patient Zero. And I read the first page of it and was like, oh, this just sounds like me. This just sounds like, okay, cool. I mean, it really was a, you know, Dr. Livingston, I presume, sort of thing. <laughs> so read the book, um, had a great time with it. And... I didn't know Jonathan at that time, but he was the first author to write to me after an audiobook had come out. And I saved it, actually. It was a very kind note that he was pleased with what I did. And then there was another book that came out. And, you know, it just sort of gradually, we began to kind of understand each other in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Like, I, 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 we kind of have a shorthand. If I'm narrating one of his books, I can see 
what threads he used, and I know where things are going to go in a kind of a weird way. It's not that we talk about it. It's certainly not that we plan it out. I just know his writing well enough, and he knows my voice well enough that we're able to, I don't know, collaborate in a way, mm-hmm. in a you know, in an unspoken way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just I love doing his stuff. All of this stuff. I mean, the the Joe Ledger stories, of course, but then there's other stories. There's Ink. There's Cake and the Damned, Son of the Poison Rose. There's you know rotten. There's some of the Rotten Ruin world that I've gotten to narrate, and uh, I really enjoy I really enjoy reading his stuff quite a lot. Yeah, it's I really enjoy listening to it quite a lot. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, are there other authors who are you are like the go-to oh, yeah. voice? I don't know that I'm the go-to voice, but I know that I've had a great time narrating for them, and I hope you know they'll think of me, kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Peter Kleins comes to mind. Scott Sigler. Um, Jack Carr, uh, Brian Andrews, um, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of authors, um, and many that I admire and a lot of people that, uh, I'd love to work with that have, you know, that I haven't yet, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm like the go-to or the indispensable because I can't, I can't think in those terms, but, uh, for the people that I've worked with, I hope that I've done right by their book. I hope I've done a good job for them. And if they want me around in a future project, I hope that they'll think of that. I, I, I appreciate that. You know. the, there's a fact, too, because of, like we opened this, this interview, yeah. that audiobooks have become their own medium. Very much so. That sometimes, again, from interviewing others, um, who narrated it? Oh, I want to listen to that. Not respect, you know, irrespective of who the author was or the story was, yeah. I like that voice. Yeah. And so they'll go, I know Scott Brick has that, where some people just say, mm-hmm. I'll listen to whatever he's narrated. Yeah, Scott's a good friend, actually. Scott and Simon Vance and I all live sort of near each other, and uh-huh. we're sort of buddies. But, uh, yeah, it's what's fun about that aspect of it, because I've had people say that about me, which is an enormously gratifying to to see sure. you know that they choose something if they see my name attached to it that's like wow it's incredible but what's great about it too is that they are encountering a book that maybe they would not have chosen uh left to their own devices you know that they that they're exposed to new authors new books new styles in some cases entirely new genres uh simply because they want to hear me reading it so in a way it's a little like you know, sharing a book with a friend, like, mm-hmm. hey, have you, you ever tried that? No? Oh, you have to read this, you know. Yeah. Um, which is fun. You're exposing people to new flavors. It's good. Exactly. When I listened to Project Hail Mary, um, that was just such a fun book. I, I had so much fun reading it. I had so much. I would run to the mic every day, you know. Yeah. And playing the different personalities, because there are such different personalities, the mm-hmm. alien and uh yeah rocky and yeah. and ryland yeah. yeah yeah that was amazing so this gets back to an earlier point we talked about this at, again at the opening here of just mm. one of the things that's difficult that you don't realize until you have to do it is the intensity but also you know these different characters one is like was an introvert and totally shy and, and yeah didn't want to do and the other one um you've got these different people with their strong characteristics some are very introverted some are you know, the yeah. high pitch, low pitch, because you're you're definitely not that high pitch tenor type voice. Well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will be if I have to be. I'll try. <laughs> no, it's just about it's just about making as fully. Uh, I know that I'm talking about like space aliens here, but you know, uh, making them as fully human as possible, as fully relatable as possible. You have to occupy, and that's part of, I think, what, going back to, you know, what is so exhausting sometimes about narration is that you are fully investing and living in the skin of this character and then jumping over into the skin of another character in a scene. And it's weird because in one way it's sort of lonely. You don't have that creative excitement and joy of playing with another actor. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you did that, then I'll I'll try, you know, that that's great fun in and of itself. When I did... Uh, when I did the Sandman in uh, in the UK with a group of fantastic actors, that was an entirely different high. You know, you're in a studio with six other people, and you're all on the mic, and you're doing the scene, and you're batting the ball back and forth to each other, and you know, oh, he's going this way. Okay, cool. I'm going to go here. You know, it was it was wonderfully collaborative. And when you're alone, you have to do that for this character and this character and the next one and the next one and the next one, and it can be 
really overwhelming sometimes. How do you keep them separate? Like, do you, do you keep notes that you're I, reading? I, typically, I don't. Um, I probably should, but I just sort of, um, if you if you listen enough to a book, it'll tell you everything you need to know yeah. as far as who the character is, what they sound like, what they seem like. You know, that's, I swear my job is mostly just noticing whatever the writer has written to the, uh, to the reader or listener and then just delivering that. And if I can just, you know, if I can just notice what the writer is trying to say to the listener, then that's enough of a job right yeah, there. Yeah, I interviewed um, Jim Dale some oh, years ago. a master. Absolutely. Yeah. We talked about he had a notepad because he had yes. so many different voices that he'd have to write, make notes of each one There's, to refer to it. Every single narrator has a radically different approach to how they, how they do their work. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, <laughs> when narrators get together. And it's not that that's all narrators talk about. In fact, that's very little of what narrators talk <laughs> about. But everybody approaches the work in their own way. And, you know, whatever, it's ultimately whatever works for them, whatever serves them. I mean, um, you know, you think about Roy Dotrice, who did the Song of Ice and Fire, uh, what, what became Game of Thrones. He narrated those audiobooks and actually has, and I've seen the damn certificate, a Guinness world record for the most distinct, different voices in an audio recording. So That's impressive. Yeah, it's enormous. That's enormous. Yeah. So on... For yourself on on recording, how many yeah. how many hours can you go a day before you're like, okay, I'm done? Um, typically, I go for two finished hours uh, if I can. Now that now that two finished hours can take four or five hours to get to, but I've noticed that after about two finished hours, it's diminishing returns. Yeah. So it's time to turn the mic off and walk away. You know, for for a few hours. Um, typically, that's what I try to do. There's a lot of narrators who do more. There's narrators who do less. Uh, and it all just kind of depends. There are certain books where you're recording almost one-to-one. -one, you know, it's, I'm in this studio for two hours. I've recorded just about two hours of this book. There's other books, and it's entirely dependent on the book, uh, that it you need four or five hours just to get an hour of recorded material. The book takes as long as it takes. Right. You know? So when you say in studio, now do you do home studio? Or I have a home studio. I also do work in other studios as well, which is nice, but uh, I do have a home studio as well, yeah. And then, so you take it, and then um, what's the process you have once you've recorded it? Do you have do you have the producer or on the other end listening and saying, I, okay. No, I send, I send the WAV files off to the, uh, to the production company, whoever it is, the publisher or whatever. Um, typically a short time later, I'll get a list of corrections, you know, things I mispronounced, things I didn't say where there was an aberrant noise or something like that. Correct it. They punch it in and then the book is out. I get it. So, yeah. So now on the, um, do you ever pre-read what you're doing or is it all cold read for you? Um, I would like to say that I pre-read and do all kinds of research and everything because it would make me sound a lot more responsible than I am. Um, but I, uh, no, that's, that's, <laughs> it's sort of a mixture between a very, very light, uh, glance at what's going on with the book and a cold read. Some of it is straight cold read. I tried, um, you know, like I said before, there's many different approaches to getting the work done as a narrator. And I tried fully researching, marking everything out, doing all of that other stuff. And it was one of the worst reviewed books that I ever put out. It was completely dry. And basically what I was serving was reheated leftovers. So I tried the next book completely cold, where it was happening to me at the same time it was happening to the listener, basically. Yes, there were a lot of mistakes. Yes, there were a lot of places where I had to go back. But it was immediate. It was exciting. It was engaging. And my whole job is to try to convey the author's words to the listener. Um, so that for me is what works best. Yeah. That actually makes sense that just the freshness of it and yeah. you're getting it and just putting it out there like, wow, your own, yeah. your own I mean, enthusiasm for the story right, comes exactly. through a lot better. It's like sushi. It's just like, here you go. Boom. You know, it's still quivering. Have this. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's an analogy I've not had before, but. Uh, well, there you go. There we go. Quivering sushi. Narration is like quivering sushi, kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So now on, there's one story, at least what I've heard with uh, Jonathan Mayberry, where Mm -hmm. he thought, okay, I'm going to get him on this one here. He put put in a phrase that he's not going to get this, and then... Jonathan does that. We we um, we know each other pretty well, and I made a joke once about him throwing me curveballs uh, in books, hitting me with some unpronounceable name or some unpronounceable line of text, or you know that sort of thing. And he does it all the time. Um, it's he started light, you know. He went. I, I I spoke to him after I'd recorded the book. I went, yeah, this one person's name. You didn't think I could pronounce that? He was like, I'm I'm not. I'll never say. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, the next book, he tried uh, hitting me with a phrase of, of uh, Lakota, which is the Lakota Sioux language, mm-hmm. um, which I actually do sort of speak. I'm not fluent, but I know it well, and he didn't know that, and he thought he had me, and he didn't. Uh, <laughs> there's been a few others, you know. It's, it's fun. It's a little like Ghost in the Machine, you know, him waving at me from across the, uh, from across the aisle. Yeah. Does that happen very often where you... Where you're throwing these things, and then not just from Jonathan, but in general, that well, this you know, there's a lot of a lot of the work that I do, uh, like international thrillers, that kind of thing, you know, military suspense, that kind of thing. You're going to have phrases and place names and things like that in languages that aren't your own. Now, I do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of all of that stuff, but by God, I do have YouTube. And I have, you know, pronunciation guides and that sort of thing. Now, if you're talking about a line of dialogue in a foreign language, I want to try to be as close as I possibly can because there's somebody out there who's a native speaker and I don't want to offend them. Right. You know, um, so you do you do spend a fair amount of time. You know, it'll come up and be like, oh, my gosh, what is that word? All right, let's see. And you do your best to try to, you know, make it as authentic as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. So now with – you also had a thing happened – However long ago that, I'm not sure how it fit into your, into your curve of your lifeline here, mm. where as I introduced you, the um, portraying the DC Comics villain Darkseid. Yeah. So how that story go? Well, Zack Snyder, the director of, uh, you know, Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, the Justice League, um, he really likes to hear scripts read out loud as opposed to just sitting and reading them. Uh-huh. And found out that I was an audiobook narrator. I knew him kind of socially. And he found out I was an audiobook narrator and he asked me to come in and read the script. So I did. And, you know, did that a few times. And then there was one day, and I may be misremembering it, but I think it was in the hallway at the Warner Brothers Leadston Studios uh, over in England. And he showed me a picture. We like passed me in the hall. I was like, what do you think this guy would sound like? And I just looked at the picture and did a voice. And he's like, oh, cool. Didn't think anything of it. And then two weeks later, somebody else came to me and said, oh, by the way, you're going to be playing Dark Side in the Justice League. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and that began a big adventure. And, you know, if it wasn't for the fans being really, really persistent about seeing that version of that movie, um, my performance never would have seen the light of day. So I'm ultimately grateful to the fans more than anything else. Yeah, so that's that's a kind of a cool story there, too. Yeah. Without the other um, drama connected with it. Yes. How'd that go? How'd that go down? Um, well, the director was replaced at one point by the studio. Um, the new director finished the film in a way that he thought was good. Um, people went to see the movie and disagreed very much with what, you know, they saw, they weren't happy. They weren't, they, they, they weren't fulfilled. They started making noises about seeing Zack Snyder's version of the movie and they kept going and they were very persistent. They were tenacious. They were loud. They were positive. They raised a lot of money for some good causes and in the fullness of time, uh, HBO Max agreed to show Zach's version of the movie. Um, and so it finally, you know. Thus Ray was born. Suddenly, suddenly I'm out signing Funkos and action figures and stuff like that. It's great fun. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, has that had, what kind of an effect has that had on your 
audiobook career or has it? I don't know that it's really had an effect on the audiobook career. It's, um, uh, I'm, I'm just busy all the time, you know, and I, I, I haven't really had my head up from the microphone long enough to figure out if anything has had an effect on my career. You know, I'm just like, oh God, I've got to get this file done today. Right. You know, been very, very busy. So, okay. So now getting into how the writers that are listening to this, mm-hmm. what makes it really pleasurable to read a book and what really makes it cringeworthy for yourself? Like um, certain things that they'll do that's just like, oh no, don't do that. There's, like anything, if you can see how the sausage is being made, the sausage is less tasty. So there are there are moments where I can feel the author wants me to know very much that he or she is writing this. Stop it. Stay out of your way. You know, story is the only thing that matters. The only thing. They, I will sometimes feel a writer apologizing for his or her writing, in a, in a, just a stylistic way. And it's not easy to, I can't give you a, for example, there are others where you can tell the writer is so happy with himself that he's constructed this scene and his, his words are perfect and brilliant and it's, it's gorgeous. And it's, there's no nutrition in any of it because he's deviated from story telling, you know, telling something cool about so, so, you know, you'll see some of that, some kind of narcissistic flourishes, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, beyond that, adverbs are just not your friend. You, <laughs> you, you, need, you need 80% less adverbs in your book. I promise you. It's like, it's like dill when you're cooking. Just the right amount brings out the flavor, too much, and everything tastes like dill. Right. So you, adverbs need to be used incredibly sparingly. That's, I mean, I hear that also... Editors, and I've interviewed editors, and now, you know, your voice is... Well, as, an, as someone who narrates, if I'm spending most of my time saying, you know, where are you going, she asked excitedly. Outside, he asked, you know, he said angrily. Why, she inquired inquisitively. I don't know, he said erroneously. I mean, it's just, at some point, stop it. You know, what are you doing? You're telling, you're telling the reader or the listener how to feel you you are controlling way too much of the sandbox and i don't know what the actual ingredients are i don't know what the right touch is with how you play in the sandbox that you've created but i know too much control is a bad thing and too little obviously is not going to get the job done so you need to find the balance for yourself as a writer i get it have you ever had it where um dialogue is just so stifled or so a natural sure and and you know there's nothing i can do to change it i'm certainly not going to tell the writer how to write i'm certainly not going to comment on it in their book i just try to do it the best i can it can be exhausting but mm-hmm. i just try to do the best i can to say the words get it across yeah there's some there's some things i've done where the dialogue is painful but it's not going to be painful to somebody and my commitment is to that person who paid real money for this thing and is going to enjoy it right you know? Well, that's good. That's very... Uh... Suck it up, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Have you ever had to go back and just like, because it's not your voice to such a degree that you have to read it over and over several times before you can finally get how that phraseology actually works? Sure, of course. Yeah. I mean, there are times when on the page, I'll stumble with whatever is being, you know, it'll, just, it'll seem like a typo or it'll seem like a really awkward sentence. And until I understand the rhythm of it, um, you know, so yeah, you know, you'll hit a bump and you have to back off from it and try it again at a different speed. And, you know, it's just, just keep going. Right. Yeah. Now, speaking of typos, wordos, what do you do if obviously they made a mistake in editorial and it's missing an article? Like- I'll fix, I'll fix stuff on the fly. Uh, I'm, I, I've done that a lot. If there's, you know, because it does happen, um, you know, you'll have, yeah, you'll have a word missing, you'll have a misspelling, you'll have, you know, whatever. And and it's pretty obvious when you're reading it. And so typically I'll just fix it on the fly. And sometimes, you know, the publisher will come back and say, no, 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 it's supposed to be this. And then in that case, I'll say, well, this is what was written. This is what I did with it. Oh, okay, that works. Or, okay, we'd rather you did it this way. Okay, fine. You know, you sort it out. It just happens. It's There's no way around it. I get you know. it. So now on, on the... Um 
we have dialects. Yeah. So you have some that you're obviously come natural. Sure. And then the other ones that don't come natural, how do you deal with it? How do you get up to speed on I it? I listen to them as much as I can. I listen to as many different people speaking that dialect as possible. And the thing you'll find when you're listening to, say, someone from you know the islands out in Chesapeake Bay, you know they have their own unique sort of sound, but every individual has their own unique sort of sound, and it's finding the, finding the latitude with it. You just you just spend a lot of time listening, you know, getting ready to play that music. That's what it is. Yeah, and then do you then get your little your little microphone out and just say it over and over, and then hear it back until you hear it? No, right? no, I just try to get as close as I can to it. And the thing that most people forget is that. Um, we, in general, no matter how we speak, no matter what our dialect sounds like, we throw away more than we say. We run words together. We bite phrases off. We do all that stuff, you know. And so, you know, d does it sound more? Does it sound more real and authentic to have someone speaking in a certain way as opposed to the same dialect and just tossing it off? That sounds more accurate because sure. that's what people are. That's what people do. They get to the thought. They don't spend a lot of time biting every phrase. So the more you try to do a dialect, the more it'll suck. The less you try to do a dialect, nine times out of ten, that's going to serve you. Well, that's actually, I haven't actually I know. had it's, that tell me it's that before. counterintuitive to thinking, but try it. You know, if you're really good at a certain dialect, try throwing it away. Try talking as fast and as sloppily as you can within that dialect, and you'll be shocked at how accurate it sounds. That's fascinating. That this is, this is a brand new. That's why I like doing so many different yeah. interviews because each time you're like, "Wow, yeah, that's a brand new concept for me." Yeah. There, saying that it just sounds more natural to the human ear. Yeah. So. So now on your again on, you've read a lot of books. Have you ventured into writing anything yourself? Well, uh, that's kind of beginning. That's sort of in its nascent stages. I. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time with the Joe Ledger characters, mm -hmm. and there was one day when I couldn't get, I couldn't let go of this idea about one of the characters uh, in that world. And I sat down and just kind of started writing, and I'm not a writer. And at some point I felt like all I was doing was holding on and trying to transcribe everything as it was going, which, it, you know, on later... Uh, you know, writers have said, yeah, it's a lot like that, where you're literally just trying to keep up with what right. the story is. But it was an interesting sensation. It was kind of, you know, shocking. I sent it to Jonathan and said, be nice, but this just, I, I just, I, it was like a sliver. I had to get it out, you know. And he liked it, and he liked it enough that he put it in a collection of his short stories. And so suddenly I was so you're published. you're published. I'm published. Wow. Which was weird. Um and now I've got a. I'm. Uh, he's expecting another story from me. Get him um, to narrate it for you. <laughs> I'm going to make him narrate it for me. Actually, I've said that. I've said that. You know, um, when the collection of short stories comes out, I'll do all of the ones except my own. He'll narrate that. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, that'd be. I'd love separately on that. I'd love to be able to do that interview with both of you, even if it's on the phone. That would be thing. fun. That'd yeah. be a lot of fun talking about that. Yeah. So getting back to Writers of the Future, so you've heard about it? I have. Um, you know, there's, there's so many resources out there. It's almost impossible for me to keep track of all of it. But I know that this is a well-respected and valuable resource for a lot of people, for writers. Certainly got an earful coming in on the van yesterday from Denver, you know, because there were uh, folks from Writers of the Future there, and I, you know, sort of became more aware of it. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, you know? and several of the... A lot, probably a good third of the people here at this conference. Well, you know, writing is a very solitary endeavor, isn't it? And yeah. so you need things like this conference. You need things like Writers of the Future. You need a sense of community as a, as a self-correcting body, but as something to share and to enjoy and to do mm -hmm. all that stuff. I think it's vitally important. Yeah. Have you ever read anything by Mr. Hubbard? You know, I did. I narrated, um, I narrated a ton of his short stories. Really? Years ago. Yeah, years ago, and it was a marathon session, but it was a bunch of his short stories. So, yeah, I, 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 it was my first time ever reading any of his stuff. I was recording it, but yeah. Any comments on this? 
just you, you caught me now totally off. Guard. No, it's just you know, it's just wonderful. I mean, there's that great era of sci-fi where everything was possible, right? It was a lot less dystopian, you know, and uh, refer- it became the golden age. Yeah, yeah, and you too. can see why. You can see why. There's an enthusiasm and an exuberance in all of the writers of that time. You know, that's certainly present with 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 Hubbard short stories. So that's. This is fascinating. So I'm going to take. A, I'm going to deviate from where I was going to okay. go this way here for a few moments. Yeah, those were the, those were the um, at Mad Hatter. Yeah. Okay. Great. And Jim Meskimen was yeah. the he directed the director. Me. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Wow. That was that was that's exactly where I recorded the stories. Yeah. And you and those show stories were all done like the old radio theater style. We were all in the studio together. Well, I was, yeah, and I was recording my stuff basically separately because it was so huge. And so it was me and Meskimen uh, for like 18 hours in the studio getting all this stuff done. It's the most amount of recording I've ever done in a single day. By the end of it, I couldn't form a thought. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, that, that studio is just totally cool. That was. Um, oh, yeah. Chick Corea's yes, it was. studio originally, and he had his... Whole Alice in Wonderland-themed uh, uh, studio. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those great... Those studios are dying out, but there was a... There's a few of them still around, where it's the big room and the smaller room and the, you know, and the, the lounge and all of that stuff, and the architecture is very much the same. But his, obviously, very different with all of the Alice in Wonderland stuff. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the grand piano they had in there. Sure. They had, all these amazing signatures on there, yep. Paul McCartney and, and just all these other people. Oh, yeah, that, I did. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a whole time period then on those writings mm-hmm. when uh, the, the golden age, the pulp, you said there's a lot of freshness to it. Um, yeah. So how is that from yourself? Like then, you know, the, everything's possible. It's not the dystopian. Mm-hmm. You know, so people who don't know about non-dystopian work (laughs) yeah so what made it different for you if you remember i mean it's been a while i realize it has been a while Uh, it wasn't necessarily different for me i just noticed stylistically it was different from you know a lot of the stuff being written today it was very much of its time right uh and you can certainly see why things were written you know in that style at the time it wasn't really a massive thing for me it wasn't you know certainly didn't call on me to narrate things differently i just told the stories but you know there's there's an essence of uh you know it's right after world war ii it's like you've got all of the you know financial gains of the 50s and all of this stuff and sci-fi writers in general i think were writing a lot more adventurous edgy stuff that was exciting and fun and exuberant you know we hadn't seen um yeah, you know, the sort of the cultural things that happened later, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to where a, a, a dystopian future was possible. Um, it, they were writing also to try to prevent that. I mean, sure. one of the yeah. goals was to like, let's let's move forward as a herald of possibility, Absolutely. not as, okay, let's... Well, you take a generation of people that came out of, you know, one of the darkest chapters of human history. Uh, it affected absolutely everything. Everything. Art, science you know, everything, um, to just not go back to that yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, anyway, this is, that's, what a treat. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fun hanging out. Yeah. So on, um, we have just a few more minutes here, because like I said, the, the podcast itself goes for an hour. And okay. We've done our first 12 minutes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so on, like, advice for Someone that wants to be uh, a voice actor. Oh, well, I mean, to be a voice actor, that's an incredibly broad term. That's an incredibly broad term. Wants to read books. Wants to be a narrator. There you go. First of all, I mean, obviously, I think a background in acting of some kind is very helpful. You just have an understanding of text. You know, uh, voice actors are actors. Um, Narrators, by and large, are actors. So some... Ability in that way, mm-hmm. you know, would be a good idea. Um, then it's just about reading. There's no substitute for just constantly, constantly reading. I mean, you should never be without a book in your hand of any kind. And that's the thing is, like, I'm, I'm, my schedule is 
absolutely jam-packed. I have no room whatsoever for any more projects currently. I'm booked until like the fall at this point, and I still have two or three books on the go. On, yeah. You know, on my iPad at the end of the day, I have to read. It's just, you know, it's a thing. So you should be constantly reading. Um, maybe listen to some audiobooks, get the lay of the land, kind of see what you like, see what you don't, you know, and then it's just about doing it. It's about trying. It's, you know, do one, fail, do one, do okay with it, you know, and just keep going. Yeah, there's sometimes there's authors that I can do that. So they write their book and they say, okay, now I'm going to go ahead and read it never ends well always ends in tears with the exception of neil, of neil gaiman it seems to always end in tears yeah he's yeah. he's got a good voice he's for damn good that. for narrating his own stuff yeah. yeah but he's one of the very very few it's 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 a small number of people yeah yeah so now any particular like on the technique you know some people say well, okay i have to drink this or I don't drink that or I have plenty of hot tea or it's fine I what works for you you have to find what works for you I found out for me that um you know doing Shakespeare outdoors in the heat in the summer and all of that there are certain things I can do physically to uh, preserve my strength and preserve you know fluidity and that kind of thing the same is true for the voice you need to find what works best for you and nobody can tell you you know, one way or another, you know, for every empirical, this is the authoritative thing you have to do with your voice and you have to do it this way. And they're wrong and they're right. Good luck. Have a nice time. You know, I mean, you obviously try, you don't want to, you don't want to scream. You don't want to, you know, fatigue yourself. I mean, there'll be uh, sometimes a writer, bless him, will write a character where it says, you know, his voice was gravelly and raspy and all of that stuff and so the natural instinct is to do this sort of thing we'll have a nice time doing that for two three hours a day for the next week and see how uninjured you are at the end of that so you have to take into account preservation you know and just just drink water a lot just always drink water i mean for heaven's sakes no one should need to be told to drink water but by god drink water a lot of people do need to be told well yeah yeah but there's a lot of different things, you know. I mean, I knew a guy who swore by butterscotch. When he was feeling vocally tired, he would just, a regular old yellow piece of butterscotch, put him right. And I saw it work, and it worked great for him. You know, so find your thing. For you, it's cinnamon. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, actually. Yeah. So on the um, home studio. Yeah. So how did you... What is it? Did you take a closet, convert it, or did you actually build a room? Or? I started out as I started out with a closet, um, and then I got a booth, an actual vocal booth. Um, then my domestic situation kind of changed, and I built a frame out of uh, PVC pipes and hung moving blankets and sound absorbing blankets. And uh, you know, typically it's okay unless uh, the guy with the leaf blower is right outside the window. Uh, I do have to stop for LAPD helicopters, you know, and that kind of thing. It doesn't block out all noise, but it's it, it does okay. So, so how much work do you do from home versus in studio? At? Mostly, my stuff is is work from home. Most of it is. Uh, lately, I've been going. So into the Joe studio lives at home. Yeah, Joe. Joe is Joe is at home. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, most of the stuff has been done at home. Some of it, you know, lately I've been going to some different studios and that kind of thing, but it's mostly at home. Yeah. I got it. So now with, um, again, I'm, I'm trying to pick it apart here because people listening to it are like, they get into this stuff here. Yeah. You know, trying to, because it's, I'm trying not to do the standard, here's how the interview goes. And I right. like this, more like that, but provide something, some technique that they can use. Like, wow, I had no idea on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so now on, do you find, because you're there at sea level. Right. Does it make a difference also like, where you are. Oh, of course it does. Absolutely does. A place here, a place like uh, Colorado Springs, I can feel the dryness of the air. I can actually feel my skin drying. I can feel my voice moving into a different register. Your voice is going to be different every single day anyway. You'll wake up and your voice seems to be coming out of your chest or it's coming out of your stomach or it's coming out of your throat or out of your face. It just kind of depends on the weather, what you had to eat or drink the day before, how you're feeling. Um, you know, awareness of breath helps. Mm-hmm. But there's, yeah, I mean, it's it's a part of the environment. So, of course, it's going to be affected by that environment. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
because I definitely noticed that here right now we're a mile higher, mm-hmm. higher, and it's just I, I can definitely. You don't have as much breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I need to drink more water just to keep definitely lubricated on it. Absolutely, same true for anybody you know in the sort of Reno area. You know, desert throat is a real thing. It dries you out. You know. Yeah. So, do you find that when you do when you have that that you have to spend have bigger breaks? Not necessarily. You know, seasonally, no matter where you live, you're going to go through a lot of different changes with your environment, and your voice is going to go through a fair amount of changes. Also, I've done books where I've come down with a cold right in the middle of the book. You know, you try to knock it down as best you can with whatever drugs you have to hand to, like, sound at least somewhat contiguous with the rest of what had been recorded before. But you cannot escape your environment. Right. It just happens. Um I think that you'll find listeners have a lot more latitude than maybe we would give ourselves as narrators. You know, this sort of rigid, strict, oh, I've got to do it this way and it's got to be like this. And people are like, you know what, just tell me the story. Somewhere in between there, you know. I don't believe, I don't believe in being really strict and like work really hard and really struggle and let it go. Let it be, you know, I'm more sort of organic and like, this is going to be how it is, and you can't really control that, and it's it's okay, right? Embrace the, the you know the ride. So now you've got that embracing the ride and that yeah. that macho character. Now, what yeah. do you do when you've got a a female that's now being very much female, maybe even the higher, mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. feminine female type thing, sure. which. Jonathan doesn't necessarily do that. His his female. No, but there's you know women are women. One woman to the next is is different as one man to the next. There are women who are incredibly fierce and incredibly strong, no matter what the timbre of their voice is. There are women who have incredibly low voices. There are women who have you know high voices. You just do the best you can to try to approximate what that character character and that has nothing to do with sex, race, anything. That character. What is it that that person wants? How do they go about getting it? Acting 101. And that's all you do. You play that. And you don't try to like hit some high, you know, falsettos. Yeah, I struggled with that for a long time, actually. Um, It's less about that than it is about intention. And I know that that sounds really like, but try it. It's less about vocal timbre and about intention of what this, who this person is, what they want, and how they go about getting it, you know? Yeah, because it's, my attention when I listen to your to your voice. Yeah. I mean, Joe is very definitely Joe. He's yeah. unmistakable. Yeah. You know, um, and his boss is. I mean, those are all definite voices. George is a very different person. Yes. Rudy's different. Yeah. Top yeah. Bunny, all those guys. Yes. Yeah. But you know, the female characters. Uh huh. I don't really have attention on how they sounded as much. It was like you said, their intention, what they were trying to do. They're they're just in their it's less important how I present a character than it is what the author is telling you about that character. And if I am, as I try to be in service to the author and to the listener slash reader, it doesn't matter necessarily, you know, how, I mean, obviously if I suck, that's not helping the path of the text. You know, um, and that's really become my aegis is don't trouble the path of the text. There's a path from the author to you who's listening to it or reading it. I'm bringing it along the path. I need to stay out of its way. I need to help it along sometimes. But really don't trouble that path. Just stay out of the way. It'll be fine. You know. That, I mean, so, that's an amazing yeah. philosophy on that. Yeah. And that explains how it is that you're able to pull off. Well, what's great is it gives you immense latitude with as long as you, as long as you stay within that, I am conveying the story. You have tons of room to play with, you know, because you're not trying to force something. Right. So. Yeah. I've, I've had some audiobooks I've listened to. I have more trouble with female narrators than male narrators mm-hmm. personally, but that may be because it's no, there's some guy, whatever. It, well, there's a, I know a lot of people who have trouble with, you know, male narrators doing women's voices. I get it. I understand. But uh, some female narrators are like, it, it's like just what you just said there. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're the, they're the medium that's conveying that 
right. the words and totally fine. And it was almost like, I guess, whoever it was I was listening to then was just trying too hard. And so they were then acting as a bit of a... Then you notice them. Yeah. I want to not be noticed. I want to just bring you the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, who was who was that masked man? <laughs> no, because that that yeah. makes the most sense. And probably if anything on advice on this on this interview, if somebody's going to be listening, that's yeah. considering doing that. But also, how to know if you've got yourself a good voice talent? Well, that's that's exactly the thing. And I mean, for anybody who wants to be a narrator, probably the hardest thing in the world I could tell you to do is to strive to not be noticed while at the same time conveying the story perfectly. Yeah. That's hard. It takes years. I'm I'm not there yet. I'm trying. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I I've talked to um Orson Scott Card. I don't know if you know. Oh him yeah, or not. sure, of yeah. course. And he loves the voices, which is like that. You mm-hmm. know, that you you don't notice them. And he yeah. he went on, on I've had him on my podcast a few times and he talked about one of his favorite actors is Tom Cruise because he doesn't make himself, you know, he's just he conveys whatever the story is, mm-hmm. but he's not trying to. He, he thought he was gypped on not getting the Oscar for Rain Man, mm. you know, because he was just. You didn't. He didn't stand out. He was mm-hmm. just, you know, just an acting. And that's one thing too. With like with your voice, it's at that platinum level, mm. you know. Um, but it's not distracting from the story. I really get the story, and it makes me want to listen to the next story. That's the whole point. That's what it's about. I, you know, you should not walk out, you know, there was the old, there's the old adage in theater about the audience walked out humming the set, meaning the set design was the best thing about the show. <laughs> you should not come away from an audiobook, you know, with like, oh, Ray Porter's a man. No, 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 no. How was the book? How did you like, you know what I mean? Yeah. If what I did was adequate and satisfactory and great and you liked it, all to the good. And I love that. And I'm very grateful for that. But it's not about me or my you know it's i'm not out there doing some tour de force it's about presenting the book that's it but to the degree that you present the book as the book that makes ray porter capital r capital p well that's the secret isn't it it is (laughs) so now with the cat out of the bag yes so any last little little thing you like that you can Um, say no i just you know um drink lots of water be nice to people and uh you know drive carefully (laughs) <laughs> that's about it good yeah well this has been great having this uh, this opportunity with you i really appreciate great this to chat with you thank you very much for listening subscribe to the writers of the future podcast wherever you get your podcasts we've also been syndicated on the united public radio network where you can find these podcasts as well writers of the future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the u.s canada the uk australia and south africa and available everywhere via amazon.com we are especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Ray. My pleasure. Thank you.